0: Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the word says In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is who he was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make His path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then uh, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, He said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham." and fire his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire so this year our church put on the live nativity many of you are a part of that and I appreciate it so very dearly your your work was good and, and greatly appreciated I've been here in Waycross just shy of 10 years, and so I've participated in that live nativity many times now. Some years we've done it back-to-back. Back, some years we do it every other year, so I'm not real sure how many times I've done it, but I've done it, done it quite a bit. And my, my role in the nativity is I always tell people I'm just a pretty face. And so I come at the very end and thank people for coming and then... And then, uh, and, then, and then pray. I, I conclude the 30-minute the show. So what I do during the live nativity is I usually sit right behind the bleachers, behind the scenes. I watch the actors come and go. There's a rhythm to it. Wait till my ending part, and then I, I walk out, I do my part, and then I go back to my little spot. And so I'm behind the scenes, and, and, and because I'm behind the scenes, I, I watch the flow of the scenes go by um, over and over again, sometimes three, sometimes four times. A night. My point is, I've seen it all before. I've seen the show before. I know the scenes. I can quote some of the lines. I, I know the, what the actors are supposed to do. I know where they're supposed to be, and, and the lights are supposed to come up, and all those things. I've seen it over and over again. It is very familiar to me. So I was a little surprised on the second night this year of how emotionally I was responding to what I was seeing. Now, On that particular night, I had spent the the preceding morning and afternoon preparing to preach for the following Sunday. And so I've been reading some scripture. I've been writing some notes. I've just been studying. And that that particular Sunday, I was preaching on Emmanuel, God with us, what it meant for God to dwell with us. And so thinking a lot about the, the humanity of what was happening on the night that Jesus was born how difficult it must have been for young Mary. She probably was a very young teenager. And just the intensity that she was experiencing. For Joseph, who had been confronted by an angel, which had to be unsettling, who was walking through some uncharted waters. Nobody had ever experienced that before. And then just the, the humility of it all of this young couple, uh, this young girl, her first pregnancy, her first delivery, and not even the, the modicum of pleasantries for the day they lived in. I, none of us would want to deliver, have our, our babies delivered in what they experienced on the best of days, but, but they didn't even have a house to be born in. Luke tells us that they, they, were, they were in a stable setting, and Luke concludes his testimony of that is they laid Jesus in a manger because there was no place for him. That's humble. That's meek. So, on that second night this year, as I was standing behind the bleachers and watching it go down, it got to that scene where Mary and Joseph are in the manger and they, they have baby Jesus and they're marveling over their, their new child. And this, just the, watching that scene, having spent the day studying that scripture. It struck me like it's never struck me before. My eyes filled with tears at the beauty of this moment and at the humility of that moment. Now, friends, the birth of Jesus is amazing. The more you study about it, the more you read about it, the more you think about it, the more amazing it becomes. His birth is why we celebrate Christmas. So I hope you had a good day yesterday. I hope you got some presents. I hope you got some things that you wanted yesterday. But but none of that, all the presents and all that, those things, are why we celebrate yesterday. What yesterday was about was the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God eternal, stepping out of the glory of heaven into the messed up, broken, sin-filled world, to be the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. That is what yesterday was all about. And that, my friends, is an amazing testimony that Scripture bears. As Matthew retells and recounts the birth of Jesus, he repeatedly reminds us in the first two chapters that... Um, that th- these, th- th- these events were to fulfill the prophecies that God had been pro- uh, proclaiming about Jesus. In fact, he tells us that even when Jesus, Mary, and Joseph go to Egypt and then come back and then choose to live in Nazareth, that all of that was ordained by God and prophesied by God. And so those events were happening as a fulfillment of the prophecies and of Scripture. But amazing as the birth of and all the events that surround it are, it is important for us this Sunday after Christmas to remind ourselves that the birth of Jesus is not the end of the story. The birth of Jesus is important. But why he was born and he is even more important. And so as soon as Matthew tells us the story of the birth of Jesus and the establishment of the family of Jesus in Nazareth, he immediately moves to telling us about John the Baptist who was preparing the way for the Savior. And as soon as the passages that we finish reading this morning ends, he begins with the baptism of Jesus, which is the beginning of his earthly ministry. Matthew 3 begins to tell the story of who Jesus is and why Jesus was born Jesus is the Lord of all creation, and the Lord of all creation came to die that we might be saved. Matthew is declaring so that we will be sure to know that Jesus is Lord. And so this morning, I want us to think about what it means for Jesus to be Lord, what it means that he is Lord, not just of our lives, but of all creation and of all the world. I want us to consider this morning that there is no salvation outside of or apart from Jesus. He alone is Lord. I want us to to consider what it means that if He is Lord, then there is a call, there is a demand. I think that's the better word. A demand on us to repent and turn ourselves before Jesus. And lastly, to confess Him, to declare Him Lord of our lives. But let's begin this morning with... with, um, This idea that that, that there is no salvation apart from Jesus. And I I want us to consider it this way, that there is no safety in our own effort. There is no safety in our own uh, uh, effort. So um, when when, uh, uh, Matthew begins to tell this story, Uh, of of John the Baptist baptizing, um, he tells us that there's something interesting that is happening. So first of all, all the people are coming out to be baptized. And the the sense of the passage is, is that there's a mass movement, and I don't mean this in any way derogatory, but the regular people okay not special folks not anybody that would get their name in the paper, but regular folks were coming out and being baptized and the the baptism of john was primarily an, a baptism of repentance and so as they were being baptized by john they were identifying it was a public identification of repentance but but matthew tells us that there were two interesting groups that showed up there were pharisees and sadducees and and it's important that he tells us both of those groups because they're not the same in fact they are very, very different groups. They're oftentimes lumped together in the Gospels, and so we talk about Pharisees and Sadducees, but they together would not have liked one another, and they would not have liked being paired with one another. But they're there. They're not there to be baptized. They're there to see what is happening. And if you'll notice when we read the passage, while John is inviting all of these people to be baptized for repentance, when, this, when he looks up and sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees there— He calls them not a very nice name. Did you see what he called them? He said you bunch of brood vipers. Snakes is what he's calling them. Now, if you're a member of Central and you've been around here a long time, you know I absolutely hate snakes. So I'm assuming John did too, and he's saying, I don't like you. (laughs) You guys are some bad people. Look at what he says in verse 7. says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. This is what I think is happening here. John is declaring to them that there is no safety in our own effort. Now, a couple of things by this. Number one, heritage will not save you. Heritage will not save you. So verse 7 tells us that many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came out to witness the phenomenon of what John was doing. Now, they're not interested in being baptized, so they're not coming and requesting baptism. I think what they were doing is they were just there was something happening. There's a scene. There's an event happening. And they wanted to sort of witness it, to observe what was happening. I mentioned to you that these two groups didn't get along very well. They were very different. Um, Just to think about who they were, the Pharisees, if you will, were the legalistic, ultra-conservative experts on the law. This is not a very good comparison, but think of the Pharisees as the conservatives and the Sadducees as the liberals. The Pharisees were all about legalistic keeping of the law, and they they even wrote more law to make sure they didn't break the, the big law. They were the teachers of the law. They were the interpreters and writers of new law, and they devoted themselves to keeping the smallest of the detail of the law to perfection. If you're familiar with the New Testament, Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, grew up as a Pharisee, and he was very proud of that. Now, the Sadducees, I mentioned they, if you want to compare conservative liberal, they were the liberal. They were the official temple um, uh, officials. So they ran the temple. They, they operated the temple. They had political, religious, social power, and they liked it very much. Now, they weren't so consider- concerned about theology, and they certainly weren't so concerned about getting theology right. They were real concerned with keeping their political and religious power. They performed the temple rites they were theologically liberal, certainly more liberal than the Pharisees, and they were more concerned with keeping their religious and political power than with keeping the law. But both groups both groups had, um, had fellowship with one another in two things. They would hate Jesus, and they absolutely were opposed to repenting of their sin. The Pharisees likely believed that they didn't need to confess their sin. Uh, you may remember the the, the attitude, the, the rich young ruler is a good example of this. When, um, when 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 Jesus confronted him and he says, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to the rich young ruler, uh, uh, or the rich young ruler said to Jesus, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And so that's probably a good example of how the Pharisees pres- uh, thought of themselves. They, they heard this call to repentance, but they honestly would say, There's nothing we need to repent from. We have spent our entire lives from as long as we can remember, from our birth to this day, keeping the law perfectly. Repentance is for those other people. It is not for us. Sadducees were likely not um, that concerned with sin and were certainly not going to humble themselves to someone they thought was not on the same level as themselves. And both groups thought that um, that who and what they were and what they, um, and what they had uh, uh, done was enough to make them right before God. So both groups were banking on the fact that they were sons of or descendants of Abraham. In other words, they were saying, we're God's people. We get the blessing of God. The covenant of God is upon us. We're good. We don't have to worry about those things because we are children of Abraham. But friends, it does not matter your heritage The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That truth applied to the Sadducees, that truth applied to the Pharisees, and that truth applies to you and me. It does not matter how godly your parents or grandparents were. It doesn't matter how uh, your family, how much your family has given sacrificially to the work of God. It doesn't matter if many in your family are servants of God. I've even had people tell me how many people in their family are pastors. That is wonderful. But none of it matters when it comes down to your relationship before the Lord. Reputation cannot save. It doesn't matter if the whole world thinks you're a good person. It doesn't matter if everyone you know say that you are a good person. The only thing that matters is are you a child of God and have you confessed Jesus as your Lord? All the works of men are corrupted and insufficient to make us right before God. The Sadducees thought they were safe in who they were. The Pharisees thought they were safe in the law keeping that they did. But John is declaring, dear brothers, you're not safe in your heritage because God knows who his two true children are notice what he says he goes on to say in verse 9 and do not presume to make your, to say of yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I tell you God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees every tree therefore that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire in other words John is saying children of Abraham is not secured by your bloodline children of Abraham is is secured by your faith line do you know god and He's saying God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And dear friends, I think all of us in this room are Gentiles, which means God has raised up children of Abraham that do not have a claim to Abraham through blood. We have a claim to Abraham through faith. The point that John is making is that God knows who his two true children are. John's words to the Pharisees and the Sadducees are rather harsh, but what he is saying in verses 9 and 10 are rather, is most condemning. These men rejected repentance and baptism because of their confidence in that they were God's children. But John says, don't presume that you are Abraham's children. That word that is translated presume means to regard something as true, but without particular certainty. In other words, he says, you're banking your whole eternity on something you think is true that is not true. Salvation is not guaranteed by your bloodline. Salvation comes through repentance and confession that Jesus is your Lord. Friends, God perfectly knows your heart. Through faith, God has and will save many who are not ethnically Jews, but who humble themselves and repent of their sin. There is no safety in your own effort. There is only salvation in the Lordship of Jesus. Secondly, I want you to see out of this passage that there is a requ- requirement that all must repent. So let's look back at the beginning of the passage now. So in verse 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is interesting enough. John had one sermon. Apparently this is all he ever preached. Not bad, right? This is it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is is he who was spoken of before the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John's sermon, right there, one sentence. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Friends, the grace of God is only known through repentance. Hear me on this. The grace of God is only known through repentance. Immediately following the account of the birth of Jesus, Matthew gives us the account of Jesus' family's flight to Egypt and their return uh, to to Nazareth. And and immediately he then turns his attention to John the Baptist at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And as we're introduced to John in this passage, we are told he is preaching in the wilderness of Judea, he wears the clothing of the ancient prophets. That's why he tells us that he wears camel hair and eats locusts and those sort of things. He wears a leather belt. And he's baptizing in the Jordan River. And he's preaching a very simple, very straightforward message. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophetic witness had declared that the Messiah would be preceded by Elijah, who would prepare the way for the Messiah. John is the one that prophets foretold of, and he is preparing the way for Jesus by preaching repentance. Now, when you preach repentance, it, it requires the exposing of sin. People who don't sin don't need to repent. That's why the Pharisees and Sadducees thought they were so good, because they were convinced they didn't have any sin. If if, if the call to you is to repent, there is a, there's an underlying base truth that the expectation is, the knowledge is, that there you have sin to repent of. Only those who have sin need to repent. You and I, we speak often of the grace of God, as we should. But you cannot understand the grace of God separated from a deep understanding of your sin. Listen to me carefully. People who don't sin don't need grace. Did you hear me? Sinless people do not need grace. Therefore, in other words, the only way you understand grace is to be forgiven of your sin. And the only way you are forgiven of your sin is to repent of your sin. So only those who have sinned and only those who have repented of their sin can know grace. The more you understand your sin, the more precious grace becomes. One of the commentators that I read, a man by the name of Ironside, wrote this. He said, It is useless to preach the gospel of the grace of God to men who have no realization of their need of that grace. Only when the soul is awakened to see its uncleanliness and unrighteousness in the eye of a holy God will there be the cry, God be merciful to me, a sinner. This is what Paul is referencing when he writes in Romans 5, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's not about sinning more. It's about knowing grace more. Dear friends, Jesus is God's grace. We are forgiven through the work and ministry of Jesus. Jesus would provide a way for us to be saved by going to the cross and dying for us. But before you can know this amazing grace, you must first reckon with your sin and repent. It's why, to prepare the way for the Messiah, John preaches that very simple, very direct message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You see, repentance prepares the way for salvation. John preached repentance and called the people to be baptized for repentance John's baptism was a way for the people to identify with the need for repentance as one who had repented. There in that group that day were Pharisees who refused to be baptized because they didn't think they had anything to repent of. In that, uh, uh, nearby that day, watching with interest were the Sadducees who refused to be baptized because they assured that their ethnic status automatically made them right before God. Both groups would not recognize Jesus as the promised Messiah because they were unwilling uh, and they were blind to their sin and they were unwilling to repent of their sin. You see, friends, repentance repairs your heart for salvation. It recognizes the condemnation of sin. It it recognizes the personal responsibility for sin. Nobody made you do it. No act or force caused you to do it. Your sin is your sin that flows out of your sinful heart. And uh, repentance recognizes the hopelessness in your own effort to be righteous. Repentance prepares your mind for salvation. It turns your attention away from your ability. It turns your attention toward Jesus. Repentance prepares your soul for salvation that you put your eternal hope and trust in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Dear friends, a repentant heart is a heart prepared for the salvation of God. How did John prepare the way for the Messiah? He preached repentance. How does God prepare our hearts today for salvation? He makes us aware of our sins, draws us to repentance so that we might be saved. Now one last thing out of this passage, and that is I want you to behold King Jesus. Jesus as Lord. Look with me in verse 11 and 12. John is Going about baptizing for repentance, and then he he begins to teach that his baptism is really not the end; is really just the beginning. And he says, "There's coming somebody else that's going to baptize you very differently than the way I baptize you." So look at what he says in verse 11: "I baptize you with water for repentance, but he, speaking of Jesus, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I." Whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Just a few things here about the Lordship of Jesus. When you come to know Jesus as Lord, Jesus will fill you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was an identification with repentance. But when you are baptized today under salvation, you are identifying yourself with Jesus. Salvation comes, with salvation comes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. With salvation comes the presence of God dwelling with us. Romans chapter 10 says that to be saved, you must confess Jesus as Lord when it says but if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is our public declaration of submission to Jesus. And in baptism is the very first act of obedience of one who has surrendered their life to the lordship of Jesus. Why is it important that we baptize today? Well, first, because Jesus commanded it. But one of the things I share with everybody who comes to know Jesus is if you confess Jesus as Lord, by definition that means that your life is dedicated to obeying the commands of Jesus. And the very first commandment of Jesus is to be baptized in in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You may do great things for the Lord, but the first act of obedience of one who's declared Jesus as their Lord is to be baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Holy Spirit. John says when Jesus comes, he says, I baptize you with water into repentance. When Jesus comes, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When you come to salvation, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is the testimony of God that you are his. Jesus is Lord, and only the Lord can do that. He'll fill you with the Holy Spirit He'll also make you righteous. Look at what he says in verse 11 again. John says, he, this baptism of Jesus, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But then he says, and fire. Fire. Now, what does he mean by fire? I think what he means by fire is that he will make you righteous. Fire is represented all the way through Scripture as a purifying act. Oftentimes it's used in the, in the imagery of purifying metal. So when you take metal and you melt it down, anything that's impure in that metal by burning with fire is burned off and, and it's uh, removed. When Jesus saves you, he purifies you. The salvation of Jesus makes you righteous before God. John's baptism called you to repentance, aware of your sin and your need for salvation. But this Jesus baptism makes you right before God and completely, once for all, forever and ever and ever forgiven of your sin. The identity of those who have been saved is not in their own righteousness. Hear me carefully. The identity of those who are saved is the identity of Jesus. I am his, and he is my Lord. I'm righteous not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. He baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, filling you with the presence of God, and he baptizes you with fire, purifying you from all unrighteousness, and making you holy before a holy God. But Don't miss verse 12. Remember the context of what John is declaring this. The context is some are in the waters being baptized into repentance, and some are standing up on the banks, the Sadducees and Pharisees, watching, convinced they don't want to have any part of this. John says of Jesus who is coming, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He says in verse 12, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Dear friends, Jesus is Lord, and as Lord he will rightly judge all. You see, the story of Jesus does not stop at the manger. The story of Jesus must go to the cross. It must go to the resurrection. It must go to the ascension. It must go to the second coming. From the foundation of the world throughout all of eternity, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He first, he came first as our Savior. He will come again as our perfect judge, separating those who are his from the lost. Now, winnowing fork may not ring a bell with you. In your mind's eye, just think of a pitchfork. It's probably the closest thing to it. And the way you separate the, 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 current, the wheat kernel from all the rest, the stalk and all the things that are not edible, is they, they beat the, the wheat on a, on, a, on a floor. And then after they beat the wheat, which separates the, the kernels from all of the stalk and everything else, they'll, they'll, um, they'll, rem, they'll remove the big pieces, but then they'll take what looks like a pitchfork and they will— stick it in the, uh, the, the pile, and they toss it up in the air. And the chaff, the things that are not wheat, blow away. And what's left in the bottom is the kernel. And so then when, when they're done, they will gather that up. That's gathered into the barn. And then everything else, the stalks that were removed early and all the, the, the pieces of chaff that had blown off into the yard or somewhere else, that's gathered up and it's burned. The imagery here is of Jesus gathering his children to himself and judging those who have rejected his salvation. He gathers the wheat and he burns the chaff. Friends, the opportunity today is to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to surrender to the lordship of Jesus, to be gathered unto him as his own. Come today, and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, the birth of Jesus is amazing, but it is only the beginning of what God was up to, what God was going to do. Jesus was born with purpose to be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. It's interesting to me that, but not surprising, that today many Many will accept, receive, celebrate Jesus as a baby in the manger. I think I understand that because babies are not really threatening, are they? Babies don't have strength to to hit you. They usually don't speak to say unkind things to you. Babies uh, from anywhere and anytime are precious. They're sweet. And if there was ever an image of something and someone who was not threatening, it's a baby. That's why we all love to be around babies. And I think that's why even today, those who are secular, those who have not believed on Jesus unto salvation, they're okay with Christmas, Jesus in the manger, baby Jesus, because baby Jesus is not threatening to them. When Isaiah prophesied about the coming of Jesus, he said that there would be no end to the increase of his government. In other words, what began in the manger would only grow and increase our understanding of who Jesus is and the kingdom of which Jesus established. And what begins to happen is as Jesus, the testimony of Jesus grows from baby in the manger, to the lamb who died for our sins, to the conquering king who is returning once again. Those are more and more and more confronting as you come to know more and more of who Jesus is. Just thinking how to illustrate this. And um, uh, you know, many of you know, I, I like to run most mornings and I like to run before daybreak in the dark. During the summertime usually The sun comes up before I'm done. Sometimes in the winter, it it doesn't. But but most of the time, by the end of my run, uh, the light is beginning. The sun has peaked over the horizon, and you're beginning um, to see things. And, you know, there's just some realities about running in the dark. Um, Things are hidden in the shadows of the nighttime darkness. You can't see. So um, sometimes you see animals run across the road. You hope it's a fluffy, sweet bunny and not a mean, barking dog, right? or something worse. Um, People, sometimes you think you see people far off, and in fact, it turns out just to be a tree, or you think you see cars coming in the distance, and it turns out just to be somebody's porch light, and so in in the darkness of the morning, before the sun comes up, you don't know what things are. They're dim, they're hidden in the darkness of the night. Now, just before daybreak, um, you begin to get that early morning glow, and what was hidden becomes somewhat more visible. But as that sun rises and as it comes over the horizon and you get that bright morning light, when that bright morning light shines, what was formerly hidden in darkness is clearly known. What was formerly hidden in the shadows is exposed to what it is. And the more there is light, the more there is understanding of what you are seeing and beholding. So it is with Jesus. Jesus was born meek and mild in the humility of a manger. But don't let this humble beginning fool you. He was king of kings and lord of lords, and etern- lord of lords eternally before his birth. And he is forever king of kings and lord of lords. But don't stop at the manger, go to the cross. Don't stop at the cross, but go to the empty tomb. Don't stop at the empty tomb. Go to the ascension. And don't stop at the ascension, but go and wait expectantly for His second coming. Dear friends, as we behold more and more of Jesus, more and more of the light of men is exposed, the more we understand, the more he confronts, and the more of his glory is known, and the more we behold him as our Lord and our King and our Messiah. Jesus is the King, he is the Lord, and the call to us today is to confess him as such. Jesus, you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and be saved today Father by the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment, all for the King and all for the Kingdom.